Hey, welcome everybody to part number two of this series called Road Trip Playlist. If you're a guest with us or just back for the first time in a long time, we're taking five weeks here to explore five of the 15 songs of ascent. So in Psalm 120 to 134, there's 15 songs aptly titled the Songs of Ascent, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but I would encourage you to read them all on your own because they are the equivalent of an old school playlist. No different than what any one of us would do if we were going on a, load, a long road trip. We would all, you know, take the music that's meaningful to us and create a mixtape for us to listen to on the road. And in fact, if you'll come early to service before we actually kick off service, you'll get to hear some of the Uh, songs the band would include in their road trip playlist. And next week, you're going to get to hear a song that I would include on my road trip playlist. We're doing a little Johnny Cash next week. Come on, somebody. Like, that's going to be Father's Day to the fullest. So uh, I encourage you to come a little early next week and get some jams for that. But uh, these uh, uh, Jews would be called to travel back to Jerusalem, no matter where they lived, at least three times a year. And on their way, they would sing these songs. Again, aptly titled Songs of Ascent, because Jerusalem sits 2,500 feet above sea level. So no matter where you live, you had to literally ascend to get there. Quite uh, literally, the hills were alive with the sound of music. But uh, it means that Uh, These people were singing to God and their souls would symbolically ascend within them. They would literally have to ascend to get there. But that being said, if you're going to join me in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so in Psalm number 122, the third song of ascent. Uh, I want to speak to you today on the subject of the path of peace path of peace. Not like in the Star Wars sense of the phrase where we defeat the dark side and bring peace to the galaxy, but moreover, how can you have peace in your life? How can you live an anxious, free life? How can you look around and think to yourself, ah, this is good, the good life, peace, content. That's what we're after this morning. Sounds good, doesn't it? I believe it's possible. It actually happened to me this week. My parents took my older two kids to a camp all week, and I was left with one. Come on, you know, talk about peace. Like, three to one is fantastic. Here we go. Let's go. Psalm 122, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. God, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the opportunity and freedom that we even have to come and gather in this place and hear from it and study it. Do what only you can do. Draw us closer to yourself. Help us become more like your son, Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is an Ethiopian proverb that says, when spiders unite, they can tie down a lion, which I don't know about you, but when hearing that, that just confirms in me that I will never live in Ethiopia, right? I mean, because all phrases are born out of some reality. So did some dude like actually see this happen? Like some Ethiopian guy was out on his 100 mile warm up jog before he actually had to go, you know, run his actual race. And he happens to see a lion like all tied up over there and spiders like look at him like what, you know, raise a couple of their arms, their eight arms and like who I don't that's maybe just my imagination. But regardless, I think it is a good point that you can accomplish way more together than you can as individuals. Perhaps a better example of unity comes from Martin Neifeller and Klaus Burkhofer. Two years ago, they published an article in the journal The Science of Nature. And based on their estimates, they concluded that the world's spiders consume somewhere between 400 million and 800 million tons of prey in any given year. And when you consider that the total biomass of all adult humans on earth is estimated to be 287 million tons, it means if they would all team up and unite, spiders could eat all of humanity and still be hungry. That's crazy to think about. Uh, In the journal they published, they said that the spiders just in your backyard could eat you in a single day. So that's frightening. Why are you talking about spiders? What does that have to do with anything, pastors? Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon because that uh, they teach that unity, if the you know, insects would all team up, the spiders would team up, they could take over the world. But oneness and unity is particularly more compelling within Christianity. Because despite being called into it, very few people are interested in practicing it. Yet the overarching theme within this song, and just so you know, within the entire Bible, is that unity leads to peace. The reason that's important for you today is because peace is exactly what Jesus came to bring. Isaiah 9, 6 is a passage that predicted the birth of Christ, and it says, Unto you a child is born, and his name shall be called, among other things, Prince of Peace. And when this Prince of Peace was born in John fourteen twenty seven, 27, uh, Jesus himself says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. You see, Jesus is saying to his disciples, and in a very real way, he's saying to you this morning, that I've got a peace that the world can't even begin to understand. And it's the kind of peace that I am going to leave with you. In other words, Jesus' offering of peace is different from the world's because when the world gives you something, it expects something in return. You've probably heard the familiar song lyric, ain't nothing in this world for free. But Jesus comes along and says, oh no, I've got something for free. It's called salvation from sins and it results in a peace in your spirit that every human heart is looking for. 
And the good news is, I'm going to give it to you, and I, not in the way the world gives to you, because I don't expect anything in return. The reason the gospel is good news is because Jesus will meet you right where you're at. And He offers you a peace through salvation simply for believing in Him. And I'll explain it this way. The reason you've made every decision you've ever made, good or bad, the reason for every decision in your life is because you are looking for the outcome of peace. Think about it. The reason you wear the clothes that you wear is so that you can fit in and not feel you know, judged in order to find peace. The reason you chose to cut yourself is so that you could find peace. The reason you chose to drink that drink and that uh, do those drugs or the reason you chose not to do any of those things is so that you could find peace. You felt something in your spirit like there was more because God hardwired you for eternity and so your heart is longing for something and you're artificially trying to manufacture peace. The reason you stay in that abusive relationship, the reason you're a jerk to your family or your employees or to your friends is because you know there's something more out there and you're trying to create it on your own. But the path of peace is not found with you to discover yourself has nothing to do with your feelings. So the question before us now is, okay, what is this path of peace and how is it found and where is it going to take me? Well, look again at verse 1. It starts right there. David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That is to say, the path of peace starts in the presence of God. I'll say it this way. Peace is found with God in the house of God, with the people of God. Peace is best found in the presence of God, in the house of God, with the people of God. This is why it's so confusing to me that according to statistics, a lot more people like to attend bedside assembly than New Anthem community. You you tracking with that? Uh, Like a lot of people decide in their mind, well, there's no real reason for me to go to church today. It's better for me just to stay home or go to the lake or maybe get a little extra work done, go to a tournament. So now the average church attendance in America is 1.8 times per month. Yet according to the Bible, you can't find the same level of peace on your own as you can with a group of people all meeting together in the presence of God. So why David says, I'm glad when they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's even more remarkable when you consider David has everything every American has ever been looking for. He's rich. He's powerful. He can play the acoustic guitar and write poetry and sing love songs. And he probably has long flowing hair and super awesome muscles. And you wouldn't want to bring any up, you know, the fact that he's real soft on the inside because he can also kill you with his bare hands, as we have seen throughout Scripture. He's married to multiple women, which I don't know if that's what we're looking for. You know, one's hard enough. Come on, somebody. Uh, like, but he has everything every man has ever wanted and throughout history that every person is looking for. And he says, my joy is not found in any one of those things. It's found in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. 
Now, to be fair, when we put this into context, we know David is not the only one singing this song. A few hundred years later, the Jewish people are all making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they're singing it, and they've helped this jam rise to number three on the pop charts, confirming they're also glad to be making this trek a half a mile uphill to get to the house of the Lord. And so if we learn anything from that, it's that love and joy and peace and having fun, it makes burdens lighter and distances shorter. That's why I want people to enjoy New Anthem. Not because of me, but because fullness of life is found in a life-giving church. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. And I want you to find joy and peace and laughter and contentment and rest all in the presence of God. Because listen, life is hard. And if you haven't been kicked in the face yet, you're going to be. And so when you come in here, I want you to find God and joy and have fun. And the only real, beneficial, and meaningful way that I've seen for people to get past those hard things that they've encountered in life is in the context of a healthy, life-giving church with people all going through the same things together. That's why I want you here. So you can encounter God. Because one, pres- one second in the presence of God will radically transform your life. Which admittedly, this is somewhat ironic because convenience and comfort are literally killing the American church. That's because if we make this place only about ourselves, we're actually defeating the purpose we set out to achieve. Jesus tells us that we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. So when I hear peace, I don't know about you, but I hear comfort and convenience and prosperity, and preferences, and ease. But what I think the Bible is teaching is that the enemy of your peace is your insistence on your preferences. If we're going to live a life at peace, we have to surrender many of our expectations. I'll be the first to tell you that on Sunday, when it comes to Sunday morning, we're making decisions as leadership here for people we've never met. My job is to preach the gospel and equip you for ministry so that you can make a difference based on how God has created you with your skill set and your passion and your abilities, which is why church requires all of us, which is why the Bible repeatedly paints the analogy of church being like a body. So some people are hands and some people are eyes and some people are everything. And together, we can accomplish way more than we can apart. And just like the spider, we can't tie down lions if we're not united. So yes and amen to coming to church, but listen to me close. God is not offering you a church for comfort. God is offering you a life without guilt and with purpose that plays itself out in the context of a local church. So write this down. We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. I'll say that again. We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Now, this doesn't just go for church. There are things in life that you hate to do, that once you do them, because you know they're important, you can have a sense 
of satisfaction and achievement that changes your entire outlook on life. For example, I hate running. There's nothing about it that seems appealing to me. There are often times where I sit down and look at my running shoes and think to myself, I have no interest in running at all today. And we live out in the country and I have to, you know, run around my section. And so then I start thinking about what if some kind of rabid deer comes out of the (laughs) trees and gores me with its horns. And somebody's like, they're called antlers, guy. Okay, well, whatever. You take one of those to the spleen, it's game over. You're not running at all anymore. And so I start thinking about all of these things. That's what you think about why you don't want to run? Yes, that's where my mind goes, okay? I'm dark on the inside. Uh, but so you, you have to pretend sometimes, is my point. You have to pretend sometimes in order to accomplish the goal that you've set out to achieve. If I only ran when I felt like it, I promise you, I would never run. But I've told you before, your feelings follow your focus. So bringing it back to church, if you come in here all grumpy and mad and they don't do this and the music's too loud and how about those drums? And of course you're going to find problems and not like it. You're going to find exactly what you're looking for. Furthermore, when you have the same approach to life that everybody's out to get you and nothing goes right and the glass is always half empty and how are you ever going to find peace in that? You're not because your feelings are liars. The Bible wastes precious little time on how you're feeling. I'm spending a lot of time on it because we live in an age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. The wisdom of God says on the path of peace that Jesus is offering you for free, sometimes you have to fake it until you make it. And many people like to say that they never feel God and that if He would just reveal Himself to them and make themselves known and if He would just convince me of these things and what's my plan of life, and here's what I know. Worship is an action that develops feelings for God. It is not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. You want to feel God move? Start worshiping. You want to know God's plan for your life? Start worshiping. You want to make your marriage better? Start worshiping. You want to get past addictions? You want to change your life? Start worshiping. Well, I don't like singing, Pastor. I don't like raising my hands. That is a small part of worship. Check out what these people were doing. They came to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Somebody say thanks. Thanks. That's what these people were doing. And I think we can all agree that there's a lot of ways that you can give thanks. Because thanks is worship. Singing, raising your hands, certainly. Those are parts of it. But thanks also includes working hard and raising your kids and studying well and taking care of your body and sacrificing things that you would want to do in order for your family and doing other things for other people, saying the word thanks, maximizing every day and every opportunity for the glory of God because He gave you another minute here on planet Earth, and so you're going to live it to the best of your ability, that's giving thanks. 
But here's where it gets a little tricky because it doesn't say they were just giving thanks to the Lord. It says they were giving thanks in the name of the Lord as what? Is it up there? As the law requires. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, pastor. Contain thy horses. (laughs) King James version of that. You can't command me to give thanks for anything. By definition, if you tell me to do it, it can't be genuine. Au contraire, mon frere. Have you not commanded your children in an effort to teach them to give thanks? To say thank you? Which goes back to my point that uh, you can act your way into a new way of feeling. Because you're commanding them to give thanks and eventually you're hoping that they develop the feeling of gratitude. But ignoring all of that, write this down and I'll try and explain it. All freedom comes from laying down boundaries. All freedom comes from laying down boundaries. The reason you can be thankful and the reason you can find peace in this life is because God has laid down some boundaries. There's some rules and laws that you're free to operate in because God is the creator of the entire universe and His goal is human flourishing for His glory. How horrible would God's plan be if it was just don't do anything of these things and hate all of life? No, it's you can't do these things because human flourishing is found in how I've created the world to work and joy and peace and blessing and all these things that you're looking for. They have to operate within these boundaries. That where freedom is actually found. And as an example, you would never think to say to yourself uh, to go walk up to a fish and say, dude, this water is really holding you back. You should come live with me on the land. There's so much for you to do and see. And have you ever played baseball fish? It's fantastic. Have you ever climbed a mountain? That's maybe a silly example because you would never have a conversation with your fish. And if you would, I'm glad you're here because you're crazy. But uh, fish are free. My point, fish are free within the boundaries of water. You can't take them out. The same is true in sports. You're free to operate within the confines of the rules. The same is true when you consider our Constitution and the American government system. We are free because we're operating within the boundaries of agreed-upon laws. The same is true when we apply the principle to spiritual matters. When we obey the command to praise God in worship... Our deep, essential need to be in a relationship with the God of the universe is nurtured. And we find peace. Now, what I really like is how David points out that all the tribes are there. Think about that in the framework of 2019. We're worshiping God right now in this moment with millions of people across the globe. Because that's exactly what he's asked us to do. Let that sink in. Though we have come from different places and out of various conditions, we are demonstrably after the same thing, praising the God of the world. And we're doing the same thing, and with all our different levels of intelligence and wealth and background and language and rivalries and resentments and skin color, we are all united in worship, gathered together as a single whole, thanking and praising God. 
Nothing will compensate for united worship. I can remember when I was playing basketball in Mexico. I was playing with an organization called Athletes in Action. And what they would do is they'd bring uh, American teams to the whatever country, and we were in Mexico, and we'd travel around to different cities. And in these cities, we would conduct basketball camps for the little kids during the day. And then we would play their professional teams at night. And uh, at halftime of the games, different players would share their testimonies about what Jesus has done for them and changed their life. And, you know, the the hope is that somebody would respond to that. But uh, in one of the cities that we were in, it's called Merida, which if you've never been to Mexico, choose Merida over all of the other cities. It's in the Yucatan, and they still have cobblestone streets and old buildings, and they have fiestas in the streets and dances. It's an amazing, amazing town. I hope to go back someday. But we were there on a weekend, and we did what we knew we were supposed to do. We went to church, and when we were in church, they asked us to sing a worship song along with them. And we had a guy who played drums, and a guy who played keys, and I played the bass, and another guy uh, played guitar and sang. And we started singing this song in English, and eventually all of them joined in singing in Spanish. And it's a moment that I will never forget, because despite the words being all jumbled up, all of us were united in spirit. And it's hard to explain if you weren't there to feel the presence of God in that moment. Jot this down. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not conformity. We are unified with other churches and other Christians under the auspices of the grace of God and the power of Jesus. But that doesn't mean we all worship in the same way. I like to tell people that New Anthem is a way, not the way. There are some things that we have decided not to do at this church that if you want to do, great. I'll find a church that does those things for you because I want you to love church It doesn't have to be this one. I think we have a good one, and I'm really excited about it, but we've made some internal decisions about how we're going to worship God because, listen, God told us to be fishers of men, and different fish like different kinds of bait. You know what I'm saying? And so we're casting out the bait that God has, you know, felt like God has commanded us to throw out for the people. Uh, And just like the United States military has different divisions of Army and Air Force and Navy and Marines and all these things, special operations, they're all still united. They don't look the same, but they all serve the same boss. As Christians, we don't look the same, but we all serve the same boss. And as long as we keep the main thing, the main thing, we can all be united. That is why we will never speak badly about other churches in this place. They are doing what they feel like God has called them to do. We are going to stay focused on what God has called us to do. And what He has called us to do is be His army here on earth. We are to seek and save the lost. Go make disciples in the name of the Lord. Tell them about how much God loves them. God loves lost people. Look no further than lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, all in order. And He's commanded us to be His ambassadors and His army here on earth. 
and to go out and convince them that God is not trying to keep anything from them, that their sins can be forgiven, that everything they're looking for can be found in the presence and person of Jesus Christ. Can I hear a better amen, somebody? And if we're going to accomplish this mission, Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. And what I'm going to preach until I'm blue in the face is gates are a defensive weapon. They're meant to keep us out because we're on the offensive What people tend to forget is that Christians are not defending anything. We are going out into the world, into a literal and figurative hell, helping people escape the bondage of slavery and sin. We're not the ones with the gates. Go read Ephesians 6. We have armor, not gates. And the armor you're supposed to be wearing as you're out in this battle against culture and the devil and your own mind, those are your real enemies, not other people. Culture, the devil, and your mind. And as we're waging war on these things, if you'll read about the armor, you'll discover there is nothing to cover your back. That's because we don't retreat. We don't turn around. We keep pushing forward, always moving with the power of Jesus Christ within us. But that's also why if you do turn and retreat, it's very hard to come back. Because you have these arrows all up in your back where there was no armor. And you can't reach them on your own. And they're continuing to poison your mind. And it's a very hard thing to escape from. And until you get somebody to walk alongside of you and pull those mugs out, you're going to be stuck. The good news is, that's what we're here for. Look at what David says. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Who's he talking about? The people of God, the city of Jerusalem. Let me ask you an important question. Are you seeking what is best for the people God has placed around you? What you do for your family and for your workplace and for your school and for your church and for your city, it matters to God. So we don't pick it, we don't boycott. We don't throw stones. No, 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 no. We love. We encourage. We make a difference by serving people and remembering that people are on a different path and journey than maybe what we're on. Listen to me. Don't ever criticize somebody if you don't know their name. Sit down. Have a conversation Explain how much Jesus has changed your life. Help them discover the path that you're on. And if they choose something different, continue to love them and encourage them and serve them and have the conversation. If you've never heard their story, you don't have the right to speak into their life. We quickly forget where we were at a number of years ago. And we start talking about how they're doing all of these things. When six years ago, you were doing the exact same thing. So who are you to say to them to stop when it took you a long time to stop? 
Encourage them alongside of them. Get involved in their life. Care for them before you start demanding changes out of them. So as we get ready to leave here this morning, let me give you one thing that you can do. Starting immediately. Practical thing that you could take from this place in order to stay on this path of peace or maybe to get rerouted onto it. Here it is. Pick people in life who will hold you to a higher standard. You want to change your life? You want God to bless you? Pick people in your life who will hold you to a higher standard. Most people pick their friends based on acceptance, which can be uh, important. But a better question is, will this person make me better? Not do they approve of me, Do they accept me? Because I've already got that in Jesus. Jesus has accepted me and approved me so much He chose to die for my sins. So I don't need people to do that. Jesus already did that. What I need are people who are going to make me better. And I need to think through the question, who do I want to be in five years? And I need to bring people alongside of me who are going to take me to that place. And it might mean breaking up with boyfriends or girlfriends or choosing to not communicate with certain people because they're not taking you the place that you want to go. And you're blind to your own blind spots. You need people who are going to take those arrows from your back and get you facing the battle again. People that will encourage you and challenge you. And when that happens, you will change your life You'll change your family, you'll change your workplace, and workplaces change cities, and cities change counties, and counties change states, and states change regions, and regions change nations, and nations will change the world. That's what I'm giving my life to. Not a logo, not a brand, not music. I'm trying to change the world in the context of New Anthem Community Church. Amen, somebody. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I felt like that was really good. And you all are just doing that thing where you stare at me again. Like we're trying to change the world. This isn't about just Park City. This is about all the people on all the planet. Just for the record, this is why I'm so passionate about you getting into a small group. Because I want you to know who your real friends are. I want you to know that when you struggle with addiction or struggle with pornography or you're struggling in your relationship at home or where you're going through depression or when you lose a baby or when you go into surgery or when you need some help buying groceries or paying your bills, I want you to know who you can depend on. If you're not in a small group, I promise this church will be that for you, but I can also promise you it's going to be way more effective in the context of a relationship with multiple people. Our small groups are not designed to opine scripture and exegete passages and talk about feelings. Those things happen because they're all important, but my win for you in small group is that you develop a friend. So when life is hard, you have somebody that you can talk to. I'm sorry I can't be that for every single one of you in this room. But that's also why God has gifted you with the ability to have conversations with other people and do life together. Because just like the spider, we're way better together. We can shut the mouths of lions. Hebrews 11. That's what I'm after. God, thank you for your word. Thank you again just for being in this place. 
God, do again now what only you can do. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Challenge us where we need it. Encourage us where we need it. Help us figure out how we can develop these relationships with people that are going to take us where you want us to go. I'm sure God is speaking to you right now. He's challenging you about maybe the friendships that you have. He's, he's trying to encourage you about some of the friendships you need to develop. He's uh, just speaking to you about some of the things that are happening in your life. Don't tune that voice out. Take a moment here just to reflect on what you've heard. Some of you, the challenge before you right now is just to surrender your life to God. Freedom is found in the presence of Jesus Christ. He died on a cross because He loves you. And it was the only way for your sins to be completely forgiven, past, present, and future. And when your sins are forgiven, He's calling you to become more like Him and live like Him. So God, we thank you for the free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. Forgive us of our sin. Help us change our lives. Help us change the lives of the lost people that you've placed around us. Give us eyes to see them. Give us the words to say to encourage them. God, our, our world is lost. Help us change companies and organizations and send people to dark places and let us be a shining light because of your son. We ask all this in his powerful name. Amen. In a second, the